Hello, and welcome to the Recruiter Reveals All podcast, a podcast about issues in the recruitment sector and profession. And today, we're going to be talking about trends in diversity and inclusion. Our guest today is Luke Davis. Luke, you're the co-founder and the COO of Diversifying Jobs and Diversifying Group, previously known as BAME Recruitment. Previously, Luke was head of growth at Elements Talent Consulting. And in addition to his current day job at Diversifying Group, he is chair of the board of trustees at the Matt Palmer Trust, a UK registered charity who supports the mental health well-being of people of all ages in the UK and Ireland. Welcome to Recruiter Reveals All. Thank you, Didi. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, diversity and inclusion and equity are issues that are getting a lot of attention right now, but in some ways it seems to be a very much on the surface discussion. Luke, um, what trends are you seeing in terms of what's actually happening here? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because I think we've got some quite um, polarised but fairly substantial forces or things that are happening at the moment. I think we've had a few years post-COVID and post-George Floyd where there was a consensus around diversity and inclusion and what we should all be doing to try and drive equity. I think what we're seeing, though, is there's a huge of, amount of uh, challenges that are coming into play. So I guess the economic challenges, I think market conditions, inflation are all meaning that businesses have less money to spend on DNI. I think the political landscape as well, we're certainly seeing, you know, kind of some of the, the comments from the prime minister and other people in his, his party that are potentially putting on quite a, a uh, one dimensional view of diversity and inclusion. Um, so I think we're seeing that too. And I think we're seeing other things like trends around like getting people back into the office and you know, businesses needing to do that. But what does that actually mean for those people who maybe aren't able to because they're carers or because of their demographics and things like that. So I think we've got a real mix at the moment, probably equally good and equally bad at the same time. Wow. Uh, are you seeing any progress in the recruitment and retention of any underrepresented groups? And is there any profound lack of progress with any specific underrepresented groups? So I think for most organizations who have been able to you know, really take this seriously and look at it beyond just, I need my website to look good or it's a PR exercise, I think they've made really strong progress, particularly around diversity. So they've done a really good job of getting people that are different into their organizations. And we see that almost to an organization across the kind of junior to mid levels. Where it starts to get problematic, though, is I think particularly around kind of senior management and director level, there's still huge diversity shortages, particularly around ethnic diversity. So while there's been some good progress in women getting into more senior positions, when you start to look at kind of black representation, for example, at a leadership level in most 
decent sized organizations, kind of you know, 500 employees plus, it's virtually non-existent or the percentages are really low. So I think there's been some really, really, really great work that's been done. But I think a lot of organizations are getting to the hard bit now, which is you can't create what doesn't exist yet. So if, you know, let's say black employees haven't had the pathways to get to leadership, you can't just plug somebody into a leadership role. That needs to be a kind of longer term plan and require some longer term training and thinking. So there's some of the, some of the things that we're seeing. And I think also particularly where you've got niche skills so software engineering for example you know, depending on what data you read you know you've still only got one in ten um, software engineers that would be you know classed as a cis female so actually the talent pool you've got is really low to begin with anyway so how easy is it to really change the demographics of your organization in tech for example if you've got such a small talent pool to begin with wow um, tell me, Luke, um, within all of the, the different groups, some organizations take on one area of underrepresentation at a time to try to build uh, their organizations, their talent pools, etc. Um, do you see any in particular where ground is being gained, say, for um, people with an impairment or uh, racial diversity or ethnicity, that kind of um, area. And I don't mean to set up a competition there, but it would be interesting to know um, where organizations are focusing their attention. Yeah, so I think and look, it's a, it's one of those like a uh, uh, big philosophical questions, isn't it? Around you know, you want to be inclusive, which means being there for everybody. But if you don't focus on specific groups at the same time, how are you going to actually learn and create the the systems, the recruitment processes, the talent attraction that will actually you know encourage them to join your organisation? I think what we've seen a lot of, and probably the the areas where I see the most focus is where organisations pick maybe kind of like they'll, they'll try and do everything to a degree but then they'll pick two or three that are a really big focus. So, for example, I've seen quite a few organisations that have kind of been on this journey now where they've looked to, say, the black demographic specifically, and they've found it quite hard to, to make progress with it. So they're doing some things, for example, where they might organise like an event or something like that, and they'll host it in an area where maybe there's a higher percentage of black population, and they'll do it in a way where maybe there's speakers or reasons for people to come in, and they're trying to build relationships in that way. Um, we've certainly seen a also a huge amount of progress made around neurodiversity. And I think it was probably a, an area where there was quite a lot of stigma and probably quite a lot of them. Um, I don't like to use the word ignorance, but I guess a lot of lack of understanding. And I think people have realized that if you're a bit more person centered in how you manage individuals, actually having you know, employees who've got autism or dyslexia or dyspraxia is no disadvantage whatsoever. You've just got to kind of set things up in a way that makes sense to them. Um, as an example. So I think, again, you know, great, great progress there. Also seeing a lot of organisations who I suppose have done quite well at the diversity bit. So they've brought people, let's say, female, black or neurodiverse into their organisation. But they're then really looking at the inclusion part of it. And I think this can be quite hard sometimes. I think it's all very well getting people through the door. They join your organisation. You're all in that lovely 
honeymoon period, but you get six months in, nine months in, how's it working out on both sides? And I think um, organizations that are doing this well are spending a lot of time of really like how that relationship works long term. And they actually acknowledge and recognize that, yeah, it's great to get people in who are different, but actually you've got to kind of then also create the environment for them to succeed and do really well. So they're some of the things, Didi, that we're seeing, um, but they tend to be quite specific and bespoke to different organizations and how they link that to their culture and values um, to, to make sure that whether you're you know, kind of one of those groups or all of those groups that you can be um, you can be successful. I think it's also important to realize that so many people don't just show up as one of those things. Um, you know, my, my co-founder <laughs> Cynthia, you know, black, black, black female experiencing menopause, you know, there's, there's three there and you could go on, you know, so I think it's important to have a bunch of things because people don't fit in neat little boxes. I think like we sometimes uh, like them too, when we look at the data. I, th- I think that's a fascinating point you make that many organizations put all of their attention, um, understandably, on bringing people in. And then when they arrive, they can be surprised uh, that they haven't thought everything quite through. Well, tell me, at the diversifying group, What frustrations do you and your colleagues experience every day with tackling these issues? Yeah, I guess I'd like to, you know, we we obviously see a lot of issues and it does change a bit over time. So we talk a lot internally about how the the sentiment is or the feeling is for our work. And if you'd spoken to Cynthia, who was the original founder of the the BAME recruitment, you know, kind of eight, nine years ago, and you'd asked her, like, you know, what are you here to do? She'd have described, you know, kind of trying to move the needle slowly, but we're moving the needle and it might just be a little bit, but, you know, each year it gets a little bit better. Obviously, some of the things that happened in the last few years meant that actually that kind of needle was able to be moved quite a bit quicker over the last few years. But we do tend to find, though, that I suppose a lot of that really positive sentiment that existed over the last two or three years where, if I ask kind of some of the black employees we've got, for example, they'd have said, well, look, you know, kind of white leaders in organizations are open at the moment and they're willing to take feedback and they're willing to be uh, constructively um, criticized if processes or actions aren't very inclusive that window's closed a little bit. And what we're seeing is I think there's a, a number of organizations that are just on this journey now. And, and that's great. And that might be about, I think, 35, 40% of organizations. There's another maybe sort of 35, 40% who probably aren't so bought in or supportive. And when you're working with those organizations, you see a lot of what I would describe as tokenistic recruiting. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that exists still. And it's one of the biggest fears I had. And one of the reasons why I got involved full time to support Cynthia and the wider organization was that I think sometimes we get confused with when you're trying to hire somebody, you're hiring them because of their skills. You're not hiring them because they're a black woman or a neurodiverse individual or they have a disability. Um, And I think we've got confused with that. And I think some organizations are so desperate to get the data right. And they treat it like a business problem, like a diversity business problem where actually that doesn't really make the experiences as you were saying around like the difference between diversity and inclusion what does that actually mean then when the when the people rock up and let's say they're in a wheelchair and there aren't the accessibility things they need to be able to get to every meeting or the technology isn't supportive of people that are needing to work remotely and things like that so that's a pretty big frustration that we have and we often get an assumption that yeah but you're 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 the experts you're the specialist surely you just you know go find us the, the amazing you know 
black uh, leader that's got this skill set, we can't create what doesn't exist yet. And I think um, too often our big frustration is, is that people are looking for short term fixes to medium to long term solutions. And we'd love it if people maybe thought a bit more um, long term about well, this isn't just trying to solve a problem because it looks bad that actually we're trying to do this for the right reasons. And actually that might mean putting in some place some things that don't really deliver results today, but they'll deliver results in a few years time. Well, you may have just answered my next question then, um, but uh, are there any easy wins in this area? I think there are. I think if you, um, I think for, for too long, I think people think of diversity as inclusion like as like a sub project or it's kind of something additional that you need to do. I think if you actually take a, a, a quick pause and see it as a lens through which you make all of your decisions and all of your thinking, it actually starts to get like really easy. It becomes normal. And what I mean by that is, for example, is, you know, you, you write a job description to hire a you know, new recruiter to join your team. Get it checked by some of your colleagues who are a different demographic. Um, you know, safety check and be open to feedback around how it could be done differently. Um, be open to candidates that might say, hey, this part of the process doesn't work for me because I've got autism or neurodiversity. And I think when you do that and you become open to it, it becomes just like a continuous thing that you're doing all the time rather than like a big, heavy sub project. So if I could give any recommendation, I'd be like, look, how can you make this normal? Because you you get it, you buy into it. And I think it's really key because this subject's always going to be changing and debating. And what was really big around certain demographic agendas now won't be the same things we're looking at in two or three years time. So if you don't want to constantly be behind the curve, I try and just make it normal, just make it part of who you are and how your business operates. Okay, okay. That, that gives us some hope there. What is the first step in developing recruitment and retention strategies for any underrepresented group? And should organizations have a go at one underrepresented group at a time or try to re recruit all and retain all in one go? Yeah, I think the first step is, you know, we call it developing a baseline. And I suppose it's kind of like, you know, getting a clear read on like, where are we at at the moment as an organization and as a recruiter? And some of that might mean looking at data, you know, it could even be little things like I often recommend, like, look, if you're a recruiter recruiting for something, you might not have like all the uh, diversity data surveys in the background and things, but you can get a pretty quick read. Let's go in and say you're doing some sourcing and the first 20 candidates that you map for a particular role you can get a picture of like how diverse is that talent pool? Is it mostly male? Is it mostly female? Um, what are the kind of age ranges within there? What are the kind of like the, the, the vis visible diversity that I can see? And obviously some of it you can't see. Um, you, you, you can see those things. So I think, you know, kind of getting a view on where you're at would be the first one. I think the second one would be is like just being realistic around, you know, as a recruiter, I specialize in certain things. Like how realistic is it that I've got a lot of diversity to play with or haven't I? And if I haven't, what can I do to try and make more? Now, I personally don't believe that you should focus on any one group, but I'm always quite careful how I deliver that message because if you think about who we were, we used to be, you know, BAME recruitment, which was black, Asian and minority ethnic, which people assumed was we were there to represent only black, Asian or minority ethnic um, people. We weren't. That was never the, the approach. We want to, you know, we realised that when you start to change certain things, actually it opens the door to all sorts of different groups. So I, my recommendation mm -hmm. would be, is, yes, it is good to do 
you know, positive action to look at certain groups. But I think the best thing to do is look at how inclusive, how welcoming am I to people that are different? Um, because I think what you often find is you build things that, that benefit one particular group, normally the group that you're from, get feedback from lots of different groups. And before you know it, you're opening the door. It's almost like inviting people to a party who are different to your normal circle of friends or the people that you're used to. That, I think, can deliver really quick results. Okay. Okay. Um, and so there really doesn't, there really doesn't need to be a different, um, approach to developing your recruitment and retention strategies for every underrepresented group. I think you need to be, so I don't think you need a different strategy for every represented group, but I think what you do need to do though is to be open to, um, tweak, evolve, or update your strategy. Um, you know, as an organization, one of the first things that we did when we started hiring people in some, some volume was to look in the mirror first. So what we've got is, and look, we're not perfect, even though I suppose we've been going eight, eight years or so ago, and we've got a very, we're a very diverse um, company, people neurodiverse, disability, non-binary, ethnically diverse, LGBTQ+. What it does mean, though, is that there's always, you know, policies and processes we don't have in place yet that we would like to, but you can't do everything at once. It's just too heavy. So I think it's pick the ones that are going to benefit the people first. So whether that might be, let's say, for example, one of the things that we picked was we had a number of people who were you know, women and of menopause age. So actually getting a menopause policy in place was really important to us, not just because we wanted to do it, but actually directly benefit the, the group of employees or the people that would be coming up to that. So I think I think it's not necessarily having a completely different strategy and approach, but I think you've got to build things that are specific within your strategy and keep that as a continuous thing. So for example, you know, kind of we did menopause first, we then looked at paternity leave, um, we then looked at neurodiversity, and we're now looking at kind of other things that we can do um, around kind of like um, policies that cover grief and things like that. So I think it's got to be an ongoing thing. So I wouldn't say necessarily a completely different strategy, but I would say you've got to have a bit in there that goes, does this talk to, if it's a black employee or colleague, does this strategy work for them? Yes or no. If the answer is somewhat no, then you've got to tweak it. Okay. Luke, how did you come to focus on diversity and inclusion in your own recruitment work? Yeah, uh, quite quite a few reasons, Didi, because I suppose I was somebody that um, you know, I'd always, you know, I'm from South London originally, and I'd grown up in very, um, you know, a very diverse area in, in Catford and went to you know, primary school in somewhere that's very diverse. When, when I got to a certain age, my parents moved and they didn't move far, but they moved to an area where there wasn't very much diversity and it was kind of very, very... Um, similar def- demographic and it left quite a mark on me as a kind of eight nine-year-old child around so that was my first real experience of what I perceived as kind of inequality for different um, different groups and that stuck with me um, I've always been someone who's been taught around you know fairness um, um, I, I had a, a brother who was a similar age to me and my mum was desperate to make sure that they what one had the other one had so that kind of like justice around things need to be fair need to be equal I think was always really really ingrained in me so that's always been there I think from a recruitment professional point of view and look I've you know, worked for big agencies people like Robert Half and Randstad in, in senior positions I've also worked internally at lots of places like Deutsche Bank and PwC and you know fast scaling tech and some of my experiences there were where you know some of the problems we talked about when I was first recruiting, like my first on-site job in 2007 in a big investment bank, they're the same things we're talking about now. 
And I was desperate to understand, like, why are we still talking about these things? What are the reasons that are getting in the way of that? So I wanted to do something professionally. And um, personally, I'm married to a, a black woman. So half my family is you know, black. I'm a dad of a mixed heritage daughter. And one of the things that I really hold to as a parent is when I get old enough and my daughter inevitably experiences some forms of racism, I want to make sure she can look me in the eye and know, you know what, my white dad did absolutely everything that he could to try and change the outcomes for me or people like people like me. So I guess there's a load of reasons, Dee, Dee but I think that's kind of like I never chose to do this if someone said this is what you should be doing but it's one of those things that I just feel like I have to do I have to blend my personal my values and my professional experience to try and make a difference that's very inspiring um that's wow what a story to tell there well Luke, you are one of the judges for our newly refocused Recruiter Investing in Talent Awards, and we are hoping to receive lots of entries from people from organizations who are recalibrating their recruitment and retention strategies uh, to bring in ever more diverse people into this uh, industry, into the companies they recruit for. Um, and also thinking about the inclusion aspect, which is so important and uh, often often gets ignored, even though that I is very prominent in diversity and inclusion. Luke, would you like to leave our, our listeners with any thoughts today? I think so. I think any organization that is making progress with this, and I was also blessed to be a judge last year, so I got to see firsthand some of the really amazing things that the people and organizations in the recruitment industry are doing. And it was really amazing and heartwarming for me to see that. I think the big advice I would give is that I think we worry so much about having organizations that are perfect when it comes to these topics. And I think nobody really needs perfect. What they need to see is progress. So I think be brave, be proud, showcase what you're doing, even if those things feel small to you, they can make a really massive difference to an individual that might be working in your organization. So I think, you know, be proud about that, talk about it, and I think you've encouraged others to do the same. What great advice. Thank you, Luke Davis, for talking with us about diversity and inclusion trends today for Recruiter Magazine. I'd like to remind our listeners that the entry deadline has been extended yet again to the 25th of October, just so that we can see all of the wonderful work that you're doing to enter to read about the awards too, go to www.investingintalent.co.uk. And with that, I'll sign off. I'm Dee Dee Doak, editor of Recruiter Magazine, recruiter.co.uk. Thanks for your attention today. Mm-hmm.